We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Joe Fortune, CEO, Mast Jägermeister US, called MJUS, leading Jägermeister and Terramana small batch tequila brands. Joe joined MJUS in 2016 as CFO before assuming the role of CCO, where he made significant impact on Jägermeister. As an industry veteran holding leadership positions within both Diageo and Disarono, Joe has a well-rounded experience and powerful command of the spirits business. Joe and I have partnered on a major initiative at MJUS and have a mutual love of growth, generous leadership, and Ireland. What I appreciate most about you, Joe, is your willingness to dig deep on topics, your ambition for excellence, and your witty humor. Welcome to ROG, Joe. Thanks very much, Shannon. Very generous introduction, no pun intended. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. I'm really excited to share your thought leadership with our audience. I would love for you to start with a little bit of your background. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I guess the, I'm Irish, if the brogue isn't obvious. So um started out my career in Ireland um, for the first sort of uh, decade of my career. Um had a, a marketing background, a marketing degree, business degree, and then I studied accountancy at night. And um, so my first phase of my career was very heavily in uh, finance, accounting, and then commercial finance. And and that ran all the way through. I had a little flirt with sales along the way, and then went back to uh, to finance and um, worked in a load of different places. I actually moved around quite a lot. My first role was actually in a hedge fund in New York, which was a pretty unique experience. And then I Went back to Ireland and reset and sort of went down a different route. But I worked for in the oil industry. I worked in software and IT. And then I found my way into the beverage alcohol industry. I joined Guinness um, in Dublin. And uh, that sort of co- kicked off a whole new perspective and a, a global opportunity to travel. And uh, about 11 years ago, I relocated to the U.S. with Diageo um, and then uh, moved around. Or as you mentioned, I worked for Di Serrano in the U.S. and then found my way into Jägermeister and that's been sort of a, a very big enabler to the next phase of my career. I joined as the CFO um, and I was a particularly loud-mouthed CFO. So they said, hey, you need to work in sales for a while. So I got an opportunity to uh, to become the chief commercial officer. Um, and then a little over a year ago, I became the CEO um, of MJUS, which is the, sort of the proudest moment of my career so far. So that's the speed view of how I bounce from being a finance guy in Ireland to being the the CEO of Jaeger in America. so I love that. Oh, and it's a great fit for you and an awesome culture fit. Uh, so what would be examples of some generous leadership that you have received throughout that awesome career that you've just given us a highlight of? Um, I've, been, I've been really, really fortunate in that um, I've worked for some very special people who have taken a, a positive interest in me and probably pushed me and encouraged me in ways that at the various stages along the way, I probably wouldn't have perceived myself to be in that position. So I think all the way back to one of one of my early opportunities um, prior to qualifying as an accountant, I, I got an opportunity to work for a, an IT company called Comscope based in, in Wicklow in Ireland. And um, 
the controller there uh, was a guy called Jeff Sullivan, and I worked for Jeff. I did a project for him, and very early on, he saw something I didn't see, but he gave me an opportunity to run a project, and uh, it was a very big deal for a relatively junior person, but to help relocate a finance office from Holland back to Ireland. Um, and off the back of that, I got an opportunity. He got promoted, and I ended up as the financial controller. Um, so, like th- that first opportunity of working with uh, Jeff and and sort of really him seeing something I didn't see and then him supporting something. Um, that was probably the first example I had of someone being super generous in a disproportionate way from where I was sitting. Um, but I've been very fortunate through the years to work for some tremendous leaders. And there was numerous, numerous leaders in Diageo and that were very, very supportive of me, helped open doors, helped push me the right direction. I think I grew a lot when I was with Diageo. Um, and that leads me all the way up to now where my predecessor here, um, who was uh, Jeff, Jeff Popkin and Jeff hired me here as the CFO. Um, and then we partnered together with the rest of the, the management team on sort of trying to grow the business and address it. But Jeff's the one that sort of pushed me towards the, gave me the opportunity with the commercial chief commercial officer role. Um, and in turn, then always continued to support me so that I was in a position to be one of the options as a succession plan when Jeff moved on. So like, sort of that's the most recent example I have of really super generous leadership supporting what I do. And I think Along the way, Shannon, like it's at different times, I, I've always felt like, hey, I'm pretty good good at what I do. I think I do a good job. But I never, I think all along the way, I never really went, hey, I'm going to be the CFO and then I'm going to be the CEO. That hasn't been my experience. It's very much been facilitated by leaders supporting me and pushing me. And in some cases saying, hey, you're better than that. You know, go back and do it again. Um, but I think it's, it hasn't always been soft cuddly leadership. Sometimes it's very tough leadership, but the, it's, um, I think I've been, I've been very, very fortunate that that sort of my experience is to be on the receiving end of a lot of generosity. Mm, so. Oh, that's so fantastic. And you, and you pay it forward. I don't know if you do that intentionally or not, but I've seen that same kind of talent spotting and investing in others in your own organization. So like on that note about talent spotting and just seeing like, you know, these individuals who you highlighted and many others, you've said have given you opportunities. Uh, would that be one of the ways that you would say generous leaders show up and it looks like this? Yeah, I do. I like uh, my perception on leadership in general is that one of, if not the key responsibility of a senior leadership role is to identify talent and to feed it and to facilitate it and to grow it. And I think that people who succeed in, in broadly in business, but also in life, I think they behave that way. I think they, they recognize talent in others. They recognize opportunity in others. And they see that the, in the giving is inherently selfish, right? It's a bit like how I, my attitude to, to this would be the same as you know, how you feel about loving somebody. You know, like you, you, you love your partner, but the truth is it makes you feel good. Um, and I think that's also quite true when it comes to leadership, right? It's, it's that, yes, you're, you're being generous with the other person, but there's a little bit of selfishness in it. It's like, I actually, hey, I like being surrounded by great people. And I think if I can support people around me and they do better, frankly, my life gets easier, right? So like the, I think there's an inherent selfishness to it, but the, I think overall, it's also that you mentioned pay it forward. I do feel a little bit like that. I think I've been super lucky that I was given opportunities that certainly at the time I didn't think I deserved, but I was given it and then I was supported, but I was also given the room to run into it. And I think that's where, whether I do it consciously or subconsciously, I, I think over as I reflect back on the last couple of roles I've had, I've definitely gone out of my way to make sure I support talent when I see it. Um, and then I do everything I can to try and support it and set people up for success. But I think one of the features of my leadership style, um, I don't own the outcome though, and I don't own everyone's outcome, right? So I feel very comfortable 
playing a role, but then giving people room to go and say, hey, do your version of it. And if ultimately I see something that isn't accurate to where you want to be or go, that's also cool. It just won't work out and that's fine. Not everybody's ready for every opportunity that pops up. And I think that's sort of been my experience. You know, so far it's been pretty successful. And I think it's been one of the reasons why I've felt like I've I've succeeded in a couple of roles is that I've got people around me that I really like, I really trust, um, and that, frankly, add more dimensions that I don't have myself. And I think that's also important when you're building a team is that you're very conscious of what you're good and bad at and that you're offsetting that as you go. I don't, you know, there's a danger where you, you could potentially from a play, an ego position go and go looking for clones and surround yourself with people that do what you do. And that's not very productive. So I try to make sure I'm very conscious that that's not what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, that'd be the other aspect of it. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. And what, a, what an awesome thing for us to consider is like, how are we intentionally surrounding ourselves with people who complement our skills and our strengths? And then also that investment in top talent. And like you said, that reciprocity of it, like it feels good. It It's a way to uh, make your organization long lasting too. So it's smart investment. It's fun. It's um, And then you also talked about the way in which you empower people and give them autonomy. Like you believe in them and you encourage them, but you also recognize that the outcome is not your totally in your control. So it, I think sometimes that's challenging for leaders to recognize like that, that like how much is too much and maybe how much is not enough support for people. Yeah. You got to be very sensitive to it because the, you know, that there's, everyone has a natural inclination, I guess, on the scale towards micromanagement or over delegation like i think that and you got to be able to flex it i think that the, it's pretty important that um you're able to adjust it for the individual but also for the situation and i think that's the watch out and that, that's what makes it complex right because what worked the last time with someone won't necessarily work the next time with the next person and i think just having your head up you know that sports analogy of playing with your head up i think is, is quite important because you, you have to constantly be adjusting and, and tweaking your approach but i think the the danger is you get too associated with it where it's, I already had a preconception of how I want it done. But I think if you've got, if your talent spotting has been good and you're, you're supporting and developing people the right way, they might have come up with a very different way to do it. Um, but it'll only be better because you wouldn't have got there yourself. And I think takes a, there's a little leap of faith connected to it as well, Shannon, right? Like, yeah. Oh, for sure. No, yeah. None, you're, of, none of this is risk-free, right? So you gotta <laughs> have some confidence in, in, Hey, I right. saw, like we saw something in this person that we backed them. So let's, continue to back them. Let's give them the room to succeed. Yeah. So I, one of the things that I appreciate about you is your philosophies and like your analogies and just the, like kind of the framework, some of the core beliefs that you have, I think about leadership. And we're tapping on a couple of them right now. I was just thinking back to the way you gave us your background and how you were studying finance in the evening and, you know, you're working really hard. So I know that there's a lot around work ethic and, and like showing up. So I would just love to hear some of your thought leadership on, you know, what are, what are some of the rules of success, if you will, to be, um, you know, a really standout player? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's going to be a little different for everybody. I think that the reason I would say that, I think number one anchoring value um, is authenticity. I, and I think that's why different different flavors work in the same position. And like the in all the roles I've done along the way, it was preceded and um, preceded by by different personalities. And the the there's always more than one way to do it. But I think from your own perspective, what's important is what's true to me. And I think the very first part is to know who you are and to know what you value 
um, and over time learn what you're good and bad at. And I think that if you get that right, that becomes the foundation that everything else gets built off. Um, I do have, I, I do work pretty hard, um, but it, I don't think it comes from the desire to work hard. I, like I, there's a lazy person buried inside me for sure. I put my feet up is very, it's a really attractive idea. It doesn't happen very often, but the, but the truth is it doesn't come from that. It comes from competition. I'm hyper competitive and I always have been in my youth years. Um, I definitely didn't display any uh, academic talent because I was just a sports guy. I, I was nonstop sports guy, but that created a sense of team and it created a, a competitive edge. And I think that's what drives my work ethic is the desire to win. And then that's connected to other values that I, I aspire to is like, I really have to enjoy what I'm doing. Um, not in a, you know, ho- holy hedonistic way, but in a, like, if it's not fun, it becomes a grind. And I think I, that comes true in the way I behave. I'm able to make light of nearly any situation. That doesn't mean the situation is not serious. But as I would say, one Mike, uh, one of the guys here would say, he's also hyper competitive. And he, he would say, hey, you know, the most fun thing is winning, right? So, and he's hyper competitive as well. And the, the um, but like the truth is that like, that's something that permeates through. So I like to have fun, but it's not fun without any impact and it's not fun without any success. So it's linking that together. So I think that, you know, being aware of who you are, uh, be your true self, be your authentic self, enjoy yourself along the way. Um, and, and then it's, it, it's about everything that comes off that, right? So the, the everything else that follows in terms of values is, I think is linked to those couple of concepts, certainly for me. Oh my gosh, that's, that's great. And I can see that in just how you make decisions and, and how you make space for that and really how you make space for others to identify what is true to them. And it's one of your core values. You know, your four main core values is to be bold, to be social, to be masterful and authentic. So I think that example you just gave speaks to, if not all of them, at least two of them, the masterful and authentic. You know, what What else could you share with us around the bold social? Yeah, so those four that you just mentioned, they'd be our four brand-led values at, at Mass Jägermeister. And the, the um, so the idea is that it anchors us both to the how we behave and, and our how, but also what we're here for. And it links to the brand, the Jägermeister brand in particular. We also have Terramana Tequila, um, which has a very different vibe to it. But I think the the longstanding mass Jägermeister culture is inherently linked to those four values. And I think the the social aspect is pretty easy to understand in the beverage alcohol industry is, you know, we're inherently social. We, we like to be around people. We like to facilitate positive interactions and in-person contact. So I think that's pretty easy to understand. The authenticity we touched on. The boldness is interesting because it's the... You know, it's, you know, back in the day before we sort of evolved the four values, we would have split our culture into Jaeger and Meister. And like the Jaeger Meister, obviously German for master hunter, but the, the Jaeger is the irreverent of spirit, right? It's that individualistic side. It's the do things differently. Don't be afraid to stand out on your own. Um, and then the Meister is the perfection in craft. It's the thought that goes in, the standards that go into making the product, which is always surprising to people who are not exposed to it. Like, over 350 quality checks and everything that goes into the process of making Jägermeister, which depending on how you've been exposed to it, probably is is surprising to people that we go to the lengths we do. Um, but it, that's about that perfection, but it also is how we how we operate. So, you know, I want to have fun. Um, Jägermeister is a fun place to work. It's a fun brand. Um, but I also want to win, right? So and I want to be the best I can be. And we can only have fun and we're quite casually dressed here. We're quite relaxed. And the principle is largely around, you know, 
dressed in a way that makes you comfortable to be your best, but it's always anchored in being your best. It's always anchored in showing up at the top level. Um, and that's that then links into that masterful. So the bold and masterful interplay with each other all the time. So that's how we try and create a, a generosity culture at NJUS because it then permeates through it, how you interact with others, being true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to be a little irreverent and do something a little different, but ultimately be the best you can possibly be. And I think that brings it all together quite quickly. Oh, that's that's fantastic. I love that. And those are great values. And I've heard everyone internally referring to mm-hmm. them. So they're just, they're, they make sense. They're simple enough, yet they're also um, complex and things that you can use to measure fit and how are we going to, you know, invest in people's growth here. Um, but I would love, love for you to just share a little bit more about the masterful part of Jägermeister, because I agree with you. A lot of people who are not as familiar with the the liquid itself, the, the thoughtfulness and the complexity of Jägermeister as a, as a drink, um, I would just love for you to just for fun to share with people how it's made. Sure. Well, obviously, 56 is written on our bottle, which is the 56 herbs and spices and the botanicals that are in it. Um, the, what people don't appreciate with the process is the master it is, is made to a secret formula that only three people in the world at any one time know, um, very Coca-Cola-esque. Um, and while we talk about some of the strong key um, botanicals that are easy to pick out of the liquid, it, the 56 is not known, to, as I said, to anybody outside those three. So even the fact that we go to those lengths on the core macerate that's in there and we then the macerate rests for over a year um in german oak barrels very large german oak barrels in, a, in an oak room it's quite incredible to see so when you experience jägermeister the first time and i had been a long time consumer of it back to my days in ireland before i joined um i had no idea how it was made quite frankly right i like it i had an appreciation for it but i had no idea how it was made the first time you get exposed it's like a a cross between a whiskey distillery and a science lab. So it's it's got this duality to it that actually runs through the whole business. And I think goes through a little bit what I said a minute ago with the, the Jaeger and the Meister and the irreverent of spirit and the perfection in craft. Like there's a duality to all of it. And it's the same when it comes to making the product. So, so people wouldn't appreciate all the time that the master sits for a year in an oak barrel. Um, and then the process is finished and, uh, you know, the, the alcohol through sugar is added and it gets it gets complete. So it's 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 kind of interesting that what's in a bottle of Jägermeister takes well over a year um, to produce, which is not something I think we get very much credit for. And then we source all the botanicals from all over the world, right? So to a very high standard. And I think that's the other takeaway. It's it is, you know, to be cliched, an inherently Germanic culture to be very focused on perfection and to have, you know, very particular about how things are done. But it's even more so with our culture in Jägermeister, which is based in Wolfenbüttel in central Germany. So, and it's fifth generation family run. It's always been family run. Like the, the family that's had this business originally started 145 years ago, um, before Jägermeister was even thought up when it was created by Kurt Mast, who was the son of the original founder. Um, so it went from being a vinegar business and then Jägermeister came to the fore and grew over time. So it's it's kind of quite an incredible history, quite an incredible standard, but it all feeds back into that concept of meister and masterful and then holding standards. And I think the challenge for us in the business is from a leadership perspective, how do you bring that to life every day in a way that's authentic for everybody that's here? So everyone connects to it, but that also facilitates the individuality that everybody needs to bring to, the, to their job and their role. So, and I think that's the, the balance that's constantly going on. And that's why it's such a big 
one of the four cornerstones that we talk about here. So. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. I think to, to your point, it, it's not commonly known and, and needs to be more commonly known as an appreciation yeah, sure. for it. And just the, and the history and the family owned, which has its own complexities, right? And, and like, then how do we evolve and continue to be generous, right? I think that there's a generosity thread right. that is throughout the whole uh, history of Mass Jägermeister and now with the inclusion of Terramana and really the open arms inclusion of Terramana tequila. Want to hear more about like just how do you create that generous culture internally? What are some of the things that you're intentional about you and your leadership team? Yeah, so I think it comes, honestly, you, you just mentioned how the history of generosity that's here. I think that's really important because the ownership, we're a very much a family-run business, very large family-run business, because like globally, like we do, you know, we've sold last year over 120 million bottles of Jägermeister in 2022. Um, like it's it's quite a large business on a global scale. Um, the, but the it, family-run values are at the center of it. And I think the easy place for everyone to see it was when COVID hit and the level of uncertainty globally was so high. The manner in how we behaved was stand out. Um, like it, we protected roles, we protected salaries, we protected the, our employees like family. And that often sounds quite trite and it, like people say it. And in some big companies, it can be hard to make that very real. Um, but it was very genuine here. Um, and, I, and I think that's really the base that you build off because it's authentic and it's true to the ultimate owner. Then it permeates down through the, the local businesses and in the US. And I think that's that's where you start. I think the otherwise, apart from building on that and building on our, our, our four values, we've got a couple of key initiatives that we do to try and encourage generosity. We have um, Global Volunteer Day, um, which was began in 2021 in honor of Anne-Marie Findelmast, who's the daughter of the original founder of Jägermeister. Um, so in her honor, there's a global day that consistently around the whole world, the almost 1,000 employees, um, everybody gets to go and allocate their time that day um, to a, a, a charity of their choice, to a cause of their choice, and to you know donate their time that way. And I think it, it brings it giving people the individually to do it and then also supporting people to do it consistently, I think also leads to the authenticity around generosity here. So that that's probably an easy one to, to sort of highlight to see, hey, that's very easy to link it to generosity. We also have things like Meister Weeks, um, which was a global initiative during COVID that we've continued since, um, which is one week a month, try and make it the same week globally as much as possible. And for that Meister Week, um, there's seminars, um, there's cross-functional meetings will be coordinated so that everybody's physically here as much in-person activity as possible. And then obviously we have happy hours because we wouldn't be Jägermeister if we didn't. So it's it's sort of like we make it social, but we also make it about being productive, but making that social connection with everybody. Um, and overall, then it's just that general concept of encouraging one-on-one -on -one interaction, encouraging in-person interaction as much as possible. So we, we've had to flex over the years, obviously, like everybody, like the new world we live in with sort of flexible working arrangements and office hours and what have you. Um, but we're still very conscious that a core tenement of our culture is that social connection and that generosity and try to make sure that we live it every day, I think is the challenge. But Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I wasn't aware of some of those things. And I think that's it's so smart to galvanize people around the same day or the same week so that there's like more unification, but also like best practice sharing because I've seen that within your own teams as well as having best practice sharing opportunities where people have tried something it's worked or they've tried something and it didn't and they learn from that. And I think that's a good segue to one of your favorite quotes, which is I either win or I learn. <laughs> and I would love for you to tell us 
like what that means to you. Yeah. What it means to me, it, it's a simple thing. It's that the, I think it, you know, it's the competitive edge that I have, right? It's a, like win or learn, but it's also the fact that we're on a journey and you can't possibly get it right all the time. And like that idea of embracing a culture where it's okay to make mistakes, but that they're not mistakes that are repeated ad nauseum and they're not mistakes that are made in a vacuum. So it's the idea that you either succeed and we high five each other for doing that together, or you to go and say, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? What can I do differently in the future? And that that's just naturally the way you look at it. And it's, it sort of just worked for me throughout my life. It's not a work thing. It's just a me thing. So, you know, I've screwed up loads of times in many different ways. Um, and one of the things I've always stri- strived to be true is that I learn from them. I don't repeat the mistakes. And career-wise, that's worked out for me because I think anybody can forgive mistakes in any context, even if it's not something that a, a given culture subscribes to. But repeated mistakes then starts to make you look like you're not that smart and that maybe you're not that engaged and maybe don't care an awful lot, right? So I think that's always been the way I look at it. So it's it, it's acknowledgement you can't always win. And it's also acknowledgement that there's always a learning opportunity. And I think if you put the two things together, it just sets you up so that you can progress basically, right? So it's, a, it's basically foundational for progress. You know? It really is. And I think it's also foundational for high-performance teams. And to your point about how fun it is to win, you know, part of how we win is to create a team that we are working well together. And one of the things is to be able to have conflict or healthy debate and to have that be rooted in being transparent and authentic and vulnerable with each other, which I think includes being wrong sometimes and either, you know, asking for forgiveness or sharing, you know, here's what I thought was true. Here are the decisions I made. And then here's what I recognize after the fact. Um, So is there a formal way in which you do that, Joe? Is it more organic? No, I think, honestly, I I think the first part, I I think it's organic more than overly formal, first of all. Um, But it also, it's, it's, it gets credibility over time, right? Because you, you consistently um, display it and demonstrate it and then you back it up all the time. But I think ultimately the first part of it is that this isn't like, don't take it personal. And I think you can only give feedback directly and openly in an environment where people are comfortable that it's constructive. Um, you Like it, it's not personal. Like we're not in agreement right now or I didn't like the way that played out and I want to talk to you about it. And maybe I've missed something where you had a, you were thinking of a certain thing or you were attempting a certain thing and I don't appreciate it. So I've got to, I've got to be open to it instantly coming back and being fed back as I'm giving the feedback. Um, but at the same time, it's more, it's not personal and it's, Hey, we're, I'm, I'm going to be straight with you because the alternative to this is I don't share it with you. And in the background, I think it, or I'm saying it, or I'm saying it to someone else in the business and you're getting undermined or you're, you've got a, there's a perception of you that's out there and you're not even aware of it. So I've always run it through the lens of, how do I want to be treated? And and actually, it also is through the lens of Jeff Popkin, who I mentioned earlier. One of Jeff's things was is when it comes to leadership and people style and hiring people is would I would I send one of my children to work for this person? Would I like one of my children to work for this person or someone you care about? If you don't have a child, like the like sort of someone I truly care a lot about, would I put them in their hands? And I think that's a great lens to put it through. And I think I often try and reflect on, hey, am I interacting with this person the way I would want? my son or one of my two daughters to be, to be dealt with. And I think if you can run it through that lens, it grounds it in a little bit of compassion and it grounds it in, in making sure watching out the tone. I, I can be quite blunt and I can be quite direct. Um, but I do it in a way that I try to make sure it's not personal. And then in turn afterwards, you prove that while you still are, you're able to have a drink afterwards, right? So we could be a meeting. We have heated debates here frequently. We don't always align. I think something's wrong if everybody's agreeing all the time, I think, but the key at the end is, 
you debate it, you get to a position, and regardless whether it's your position or someone else's position, that's the decision the group have made. We're going to go forward with it. Now we can go and have a drink at the bar, and we can still talk, still have a laugh about what's going on. Um, and that's always been super important, and I'm pretty confident that I've, I've managed to walk that line and, and hold that true um, over the years. And I think as a result of that, then I get it back. And that's what I'm really looking for is I'm looking to give it to you, but I'm also looking for you to give me that direct open feedback back. And I'm very open to it. And that's something sometimes gets said that's not real. I've worked in places that says, hey, it's two way, it's open door, it's flat structure. And you give the wrong leader some direct feedback and they're like, who the hell do you think you are? So it's very important that you walk the talk on this one, right? And it's that concept of walking the talk is also something we've, we've strived quite hard for here at NJUS to be true. So I think it's it's very important that it's two-way and it's very open that that's genuine. So, and it brings you back full circle to that authenticity point we made earlier. I think that's that ultimately is the foundation that you can build everything off because it facilitates true, honest interactions, but also trust being built. So. Gosh, there's so much in what you just said that I want to ask you more about. But the place that I'm going to go is around, you talked about the ability to have healthy debate and to disagree. And if we're all just bobbleheads and, you know, unanimously agreeing, we know that that's harmonious, that's artificial harmony. It's not real. It can't possibly be real. We can't all see this the same way. That's not, that's not how humans work. Uh, particularly if you've been intentional about how you're hiring and you've surrounded yourself with people that are different than you, you're like, you know, asking for it in a way, in a good way. Um, and I've heard you use the term holding tension. And you say that when you're talking about like, how can we create a space where, yeah, it's uncomfortable. We're not agreeing on things. We might be like adamantly disagreeing on something, but we're, you, you want to encourage that kind of a opportunity for people to be authentic and express themselves. So for those who are really challenging themselves to hold more tension in their own workplaces and with their own teams, like what are some advice or, you know, tips that you could give us on how to do that effectively. I think it links back to the previous conversation in that you've got to create an environment where um, it's two way and it's and that it's the, the openness and the directness is two way. And I think that then facilitates a place where uh, I said tension when I say it the way I say it. And I'm, I'm prone to a lot of Irish isms, even after more than a decade in the U.S. Um, the tension just means that there's a bit of an edge to the conversation that we're not in a full agreement and that sometimes it's not even tension in that you're wrong and I'm right or I don't agree with you. It's that I don't understand. It's like, hold on, explain that to me. Like that, from where I'm sitting today, that simply doesn't make sense. Walk me through it. And I think in pl certain places I've worked in the past, the mere act of asking for something to be explained is perceived to be pushing back and is, is too tough and too edgy. And I think it's important here that to me is that no, no, that's the first tenement of all of us moving this thing forward is that we understand the position we're taking or the topic we're working on and why we stand in a particular position. So I think that the idea, sometimes it's just as simple as I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me, explain it to me. And then it evolves all the way up to, you know, hey, I just don't agree. I've thought it true. I, I know why what you're saying. I know why you're saying it, but I just don't agree with you. And we debate it true. And sometimes there's just a perspective that you haven't thought of. And that's where you need to be open to it. And that's where the tension, the friction creates the energy that allows things to evolve. And I think that's where, as I mentioned, like a lot of bobbleheads, a lot of people nodding up the chain to the more senior person's opinion plays um, through the levels. It just doesn't move anything forward. You, like a, it's a false, a false comfort in that everybody feels good because there's no 
know, difficult conversations. But the truth is suddenly one day things go wrong and then you're like, what the hell happened? I don't know how that happened. Right. So I think the concept of, of having that um, open, direct conversation doesn't have to be obviously tension all the time is exhausting. So it can't be permanent. But I think when businesses aren't fully performing and we've had up and down, we've got two brands that behave differently. There's plenty of opportunity for us to be better here. So it's natural you create an environment where holding a bit of tension is going to be positive and it's going to actually help you evolve. So I think it goes back to that creating the environment and I think walking the talk over time so that you build the credibility so that new people are comfortable leaning in or you know, more junior people are comfortable leaning in. And I, and I think that's also part of it. But that only comes, there's no quick fix for this. In my experience, we've got a, a, a culture that is striving to be better all the time but does it in a very open, direct, and sort of humane way so that we people are still at the forefront of everything we do. Even if some days on a bad day, it might feel like they're not. It's like that's part of the, the dance, right? So. Oh, without a doubt. And I mean, you are such a people first culture in the most meaningful ways that. Yeah, you've got a unique perspective on that, right? Because yeah. you work with us. So yeah. you got to peek under the tent, yeah. for want of a better it, word. So we, I think it's honestly, authentic. your perspective on it, Shannon, is probably a more objective than anything mm-hmm. I could come up with. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, you really do walk the talk and, and even in the most difficult of circumstances, I think you, you put people first and, and that's tremendous. Um, and then the point that you were making about authenticity, I think it also weaves into that holding tension or having healthy debate, because if you're being authentic, then you have a point of view. And I think what I'm hearing you say is you expect that people are going to offer generously their point of view and their perspective and their recommendations or their disagreement or whatever it is, because ultimately then we get to a better outcome. And it's like better to have those conversations here in the in the kind of comfort and trust of, of our teams and then win on the outside versus like getting shot down on the outside, right? And then kind of having to course correct. So just in, as a recap, here's a couple of the takeaways that I've heard from you that, that people could emulate in their own work and lives. One is the know who you are. And that's like foundational to everything that you said is know who you are, know what you value, what you're good at, what you're not good at, who you need to surround yourself with. Um, and then be true to yourself. So once you've done that work of figuring it out, be true to yourself. And then the, how can you create some kind of, uh, you know, volunteer day or uh, something that is special that everybody contributes to and enable them to do it in a way that makes the most sense to them. Like everybody in your organization gets to choose where they serve their their volunteer time and then not taking it personally. I think that was a good takeaway is uh, for those who are taking things too personally and then holding tension, making two-way conversations to have healthy debate, exchange feedback, be open to feedback. Anything else that you would add to that, Joe? No, no, I think that <laughs> your listening skills are second to none, Shannon. So it... Um, no, I think that's perfect. I think that I'd, I'd wrap it up with like the authenticity running throughout all of that that you just summarized is crucial. I think it's, you know, I, I would often describe it as like it's authenticity. That's the pixie dust of, you know, supercharging potential, but also of creating a positive work culture in any level. Right. Because I, I think that getting everybody being somewhat, somewhat comfortable with who they are and what they're looking to achieve. Um, really helps you create a culture collectively that it also reflects that. So I think the authenticity call out would be the only other mini shout out on top of that. That's pretty good. 
Oh, thank you so much for this, Joe. I appreciate you and your leadership and your role modeling. And thank you so much, Joe. Thanks as always. Thanks, Shannon. It's a real pleasure. Great to see you. Great to see you too. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.